Well, hi, everybody. We are going to be in Romans chapter 8. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead. We'll open up to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, page, I think, 944 in your house Bibles. I might be wrong on that. It's 944 in my Bible, if that helps anybody. I think it's 944 in the house Bibles, too. Let's pray as we dig in. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for a chance to gather together as your community filled by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we never take this for granted. God, this is a powerful moment in the week of every follower of Christ, and we need to hear from your word. And so, Jesus, would you take today's text, would you sear it in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you transform us? Would your word be effective in making us more Christ-like in our worship and in our love? We need you so bad this morning, God. Have your way with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I uh, are adoptive parents. Uh, we adopted two sweet little girls, Joy and Mira. And many of you who have been around Park for a while, uh, have been on that journey with us. I know Kenson's your pastor, but uh, I get to kind of be in many of your lives as well, and you in my life, and, and you have uh, been on that journey with us over the last three years as we navigated first being foster parents and then adoptive parents. If you can put the picture up of my, my family, this is from last week. Uh, this was my wife's birthday party uh, last week. Ruthie is in the middle. That's our oldest, our biological daughter. And then we've got the twins, Joy in the pink on the left, and Mira, short for miracle, on the right. Now, you can leave that up for just a little bit while I talk about the family. I'll, there are a number of moments in our journey of adoption that will forever be seared in my mind. Uh, I'm certain that when I'm an old man, should the Lord allow me to live that long, that I will remember these moments. I remember when we were in the foster care classes, and Donna, a woman from our church who was a foster parent in our church, who was fostering a little boy, said that her little boy had two sisters, twins, who were going to need placement in a home in the next week. And I remember pulling the car over with my wife and saying, what do you think about twins? <laughs> we were ready to take on one, but there's maybe two. Very interesting conversation and prayer. I'll never forget the day the twins got dropped off in our house. Remember I getting the phone call, they're going to be here in 30 minutes, you're looking out the window and this caseworker starts walking up the stairs with these two little munchkins that I'd never seen before, opening the door and seeing two girls that were soon going to become my daughters. Didn't look like us, didn't know us. I remember about a week after they got dropped off in our home, funny chain of events, but a wave of emotion came over me like I had never experienced. My wife had, you know, my wife had had a number of emotional moments as we navigated this. She's far more emotional than me. Uh, and I had, for the most part, been pretty strong, but I remember about a week after they came into our home, it wasn't sadness. It was just everything. It was like everything. And it hit me like a tidal wave, and I bawled like a baby. I, I just, I couldn't even catch a breath. I just had to do this and told my wife and she just took over and I just went downstairs. Woo, got that one out of me. I remember all the court visits. I remember the day I experienced our first subtle hint of racism towards our family. I, you know, I'm part of a multi-ethnic church. I, I, this is something I understand. I have done a lot of counsel in. I, I, I look for in our in our city we live in, but to experience it as a dad, that was a whole new one. 
I remember receiving and reading all of the paperwork of our girls. In the foster system, you don't know much about your daughters or your children. And then right, right before adoption, they give you the whole packet. And it's everything about their story, about their biological story, and all the, everything. And it's just this big paperwork and just sitting down with my wife and saying, let's learn about our children together. That was an interesting one. I remember the day of their adoption, standing in the court with many from our church, many of our family members, friends, just standing around us and just, what a day for the judge to declare them our daughters forever. And I remember countless moments of being a proud dad to all three of my daughters since then. Perhaps the greatest language in the Bible that helps us understand the nature of our relationship to God in the Christian faith is the term adoption. That is a vital central artery that runs through the entire narrative of Christianity. Adoption is when someone who was not part of the family, not rightfully part of the family, gets brought in and declared a full member of the family. Not second-class citizen, not kind of lower status somehow, but brought in and treated as an actual biological son or daughter, one with the father. You get brought in the family. Did you know that's the heart of the Christian faith? Did you know that if you're a Christian, you have been adopted into the family of God? This is terminology that doesn't oftentimes get used, but in our passage today, it's going to be the center of the text. We're in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, as Kenson began last week, is by, considered by many to be the most powerful and memorable chapter in all of Scripture. It starts off in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God has done what the law could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. God has saved sinners like us. It starts with the... The, the, the great culminating powerful testimony that despite the fact that we're sinful, despite the fact that we're rebels to God, God sent his son to take our place on the cross. And Romans 8 unpacks that in clarity. And then it talks about the doctrine of adoption. Not only has God saved us from our sin, but he's adopted us into his family. Our heavenly daddy calls us his son and daughter. And there's no undoing that. We've been adopted into his family. Today's sermon is going to come in two parts. Part one, I'm going to do what's called exegesis. It means to draw meaning from the text. I'm going to actually work through the text verse by verse and help unpack it a little bit. And then part two, I'm going to get into kind of practical application, what this means for you and me as part of being at Park Community Church. So let's start with part one. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this is set up for him getting into the adoption language. So let's work through what he just said. He begins with, so then. Remember, when you see words like so then in the Bible, or therefore, or since, these are connecting words that connect ideas. So then means he's wrapping up and concluding a previous thought. And what he's just been saying is that we are debtors to God. We, we're sinful by nature, and we don't, we're not part of God's family by nature. 
But because of what Jesus Christ has done, there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And he says that we are debtors. A debtor is someone who owes something to someone else. If you're outside of the family of God, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, the scriptures say you are a debtor to the flesh. You're a debtor to God as well. Why are you a debtor to God? Well, the, the consequences of sin is death. The payment that we owe God is separation from God. And we're constantly paying that off by living according to the flesh. We try to prove our own righteousness. We try to prove our own goodness. We try to get kind of a rightness with God based on our own merit. We chase after religion. We chase after therapy. We chase after all these things we think will make us good and what God intends for us. When all along, all we're doing is trying to pay off a debt we can't pay. Meanwhile, God has already done what we could never do. He sent his son. He paid the debt in full. Now, notice the language in verse 12 here. He says, uh, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is a theme that's come up so often in the book of Romans already. A Christian is someone who is putting to death sin in their life, the deeds of the body. Notice it doesn't say to just kind of accept it. It doesn't say to just live and not care about the sin. It says that the Christian is the person who's putting to death brokenness in their life. The Christian is the one who's regularly looking at the good word of God and saying, God, I love your law, I love your word, and I recognize that I fall short, that my mind doesn't think the way scriptures say it should. I have different views on things than what scripture says I, I should. I live in a different way than what scripture says I should. My heart's not fully there yet, but we're regularly putting to death the old ways of life, the old ways of thinking, and we're running towards God. As God gets a hold of us in greater and greater stages, we increasingly are strengthened by his spirit to strip off that old way of life that hindered us and to run freely towards God in the life that he's made for us. There's a battle that takes place in the Christian faith. And notice he says, if by the spirit we do this, by the spirit, any good work that happens in your life as a Christian is never something you've done on your own, by your own strength, That's why you never get to boast about overcoming sin. No one gets to look at someone else and say, well, I did it. How come you can't do it? No, it's God working through you, the Holy Spirit that's been placed in you. He actually is the one that enables you to overcome sin. It's never you on your own. Robert Mounts, a commentator on this passage, he says, it's only when we break fellowship with the Spirit that our sinful nature is able to successfully reassert its fraudulent claim on our lives. The key to freedom from what we were is constant reliance on the active presence of the Spirit. To walk by the power of the Spirit, is, it's kind of like tuning a musical instrument. You want to bring the, the resonance in line with each other. You want to actually make sure that you're, you're walking in sync with the Spirit. And you do that by listening to God and by walking closely with Him and, and knowing His Word and living in community. And I want us to not miss the language that's here. It's pretty harsh language, verse 12 and 13, isn't it? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There is a way to live your life that leads to death, that leads to separation from God in this life and in eternity in hell. And if you choose to not be part of the family of God, if you choose to live in the flesh, in the deeds of the body, the, 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 the separation from God begins now. And it lasts in eternity. It leads to death. 
And I don't want anyone to live there. God invites you into his family to begin a life of transformation back to what God originally made you for. The full life of is living and running fully after God. That's what you were made for. To love God and his word both now and in eternity. The goal is not to master this book and know everything. It's to be mastered by this book. It's to let God's word so seep into your heart that, you, that you're a different person. You know God better. I don't want anyone to be deceived here. You're not a Christian just because you check the box. And you're not a Christian just because you come to church on Sunday. There is a way to live life and go by the title of Christian and end up in hell. And I don't want anyone to have that happen to them. If you're, if you're going by the title Christian and you have no concern for the deeds of the flesh, sin in your life, it just doesn't bother you, you might not be a Christian. If, if you're going by the title of Christian and you're no concern for indwelling sin, no, no concern for the things of God and his kingdom, you might not be a Christian. If you're going by the title Christian and, and, and if you're going by the title Christian and, and you have no desire to see Jesus made known, no desire to see other people come to know the thing that you have and to treasure the treasure that you have, you might not be a Christian. I want you to know there is a way to live life that leads to death, and you can do it under the title of Christian deceivingly. And this text calls us out from that. Don't let that be your story. But he continues. And then he moves us not just to what has happened to us, that we've been set free from this, but now into the spirit of adoption. Verses 14 to 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we might also be glorified with him. A person who demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit in their life is declared to be a son of God. Now, this is familial language. I want you to know, at the heart of the Christian faith is family. It's a family language. And this is one of the things that makes Christianity so unique. You're not going to get this language in Islam. That's not, it's not the same God in Islam. This is uniquely Christian language of how we relate to our Heavenly Father. Being able to be called a son and being able to cry out, Abba, Father. And I want to be very clear with what the text is saying. If you listen to Oprah long enough, you're going to hear something like this. Everybody is a child of God. And it sounds good, doesn't it? But that is not the biblical narrative. That is not biblically true. Everybody, every person, no matter what country, what color, what religion, no matter what you are, where you are, you are made in the image of God. And because of that, biblically, you're worthy of dignity. You're worthy of value. You're worthy of respect. You bear the image of God. But to be a son and a daughter of the king, for that you need adoption. Because none of us are naturally born into God's family. Only the Christian gets the title child of God. This is very important for us to realize. Every human being is made in the image of God, but only the Christian is a son or a daughter of God. R.C. Sproul says it this way, the spirit of adoption. To address God as father involves a relationship of intimacy. To be a member in good standing in the family of God is a privilege never to be passively assumed or taken for granted. 
In fact, it is the greatest privilege of all to be able to come to God and address him as Father. And notice how this happened. It's the Spirit that bears witness with our spirit. When you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in with you, and he bears witness about your sonship from within. Look, sometimes your church will let you down. Sometimes your earthly family will let you down. Sometimes your jobs will let you down. Sometimes your friends will let you down. But you have a heavenly father, if you're a follower of Christ, that will never let you down. He literally stands there fully saying, I'm here. I love you. I'm with you. You're a child of mine. I paid the cost at the cross for you to be able to be adopted into this family, and I'm not letting you go. So when life gets hard, when life feels like you're being defeated, when you don't know what direction to go, the good news is that you've been adopted into God's family and you have a father who knows you better than you know you and receives you as you are and says, I love you fully as a child, the way a father loves his son and daughter. This is not something you possessed already when you were born. It was something that was given to you. It was lavish love that was poured on top of you the day you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we get to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba. That's the language Jesus used. It's, it's, in the first century, no one would ever talk to God that way because it's so intimate. It's, it's almost like saying, Daddy. And when Jesus used that language, it was out of a primal scream. He was on his way to the crucifixion. He was sweating beads of of blood because he was so anxious about what was about to happen. Very human moment for him. And in his brokenness, in his despair, in his anxiety, he called out, Abba, Father. Oh, man, we get to call out to God the same way. But that's only because of our adoption. See, when life's hard and you don't know where to go as a Christian, where do you turn? You turn to your father who knows you and loves you. I've shared this story before, but I'll never forget our adopted daughters a few months after they'd come into our home as foster children. We're still going to know each other. And little Mira, she's as tough as they come. She was only two at the time. No, actually, one. She was one. Almost two. And we are at the park, and I'm standing at the, on the, you know, the edge of the park, and they're going down the slide, and they're playing. And then I see Mira go down the slide and fall on her knee, you know. And she, you know, you get the little rocks on your knee. And, and I wasn't sure if it was a hard enough fall that she was going to start crying or if she was just going to get up and keep playing. And I was watching to see how I needed to respond. And I saw Mira stand up. She looked around like this. And I saw it. And I know little Mira's face so well at this point. And then she locked eyes with me. She saw me across the park. And little Mira, her face, this is what she did. She burst into this, just every bit of sadness and scaredness that could ever come over a little person's face just flooded her face. And she started to cry, barely could open her eyes, and she sprinted towards me and ran into my arms. And in that moment, she needed dad. She needed daddy. And in that point, our little girls had never had a dad before. And what they used to do is they used to put their face up against my cheek because they had never felt scruff like this. And so they used to, it was so sweet, she'd come and she'd put her face right here and she'd hold on in my big old arms because she's so teeny, she's just a little munchkin and she'd go there and she just wrapped her arms around me crying and what she needed was dad. And I was her dad. 
And, and that is what the Christian faith is. When you're a Christian, you've been adopted into a family, and God's looking at you, and when you skin your knee, when you scrape your knee, what he's looking for you is where are you going to turn your eyes? Are you running to him? Because he went to the cross to sear your adoption. When, when you don't know which way to turn, are you running to him? Are you looking for solutions in every other place and forgetting that you've been adopted? Let the arms of the Father wrap around you, sit with him for a moment, and let him just remind you he paid it all for you. He loves you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you down. He's going to make sure he's always enough for you. She needed a warm hug and gentle hand. She needed to know she was secure, and so do we. This is such intimate language. Feel the intimacy in this, in this passage for a second. And he goes on, he says that we're heirs and sufferers with Christ. Read that language in verses 15. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. If children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. To be an heir, that is to have full access to the family. The only right son of the father is Jesus Christ. He is the one who rightfully has the inheritance. He is the one who rightfully earned through his righteousness everything. When you think of heaven and all the heavenlies and the paradise that we get to literally taste in part, even now as a Christian, all of that good stuff, that's rightfully Christ's. He is the biological son. He is the one that actually has earned it all. But when you get adopted into the family, what is Christ gets shared with you? His righteousness, his sonship, his heaven, his place, everything that's Christ gets shared with you in abundance. His inheritance becomes your inheritance. As adopted children, you're not second-class citizens that get the leftovers. You get the kingdom of God. God opens up the heavenly storehouses to you. He declares you righteous when it wasn't you who earned it. R.C. Sproul again says, The work of the Spirit is not only to make us children of God and then to take up a dwelling place within our hearts, but also to give us an inner assurance of our standing with God. It's vitally important for the Christian to have assurance of salvation, for we are heirs. See, an heir, never, an heir doesn't have to worry what tomorrow brings because the worst thing tomorrow can bring is death. And, and that actually ends up being good news for the Christian because we've got an inheritance that can't be taken from us. That's why we don't store up our treasures where wrath and, and rust destroy, but we store up our treasures in the heavenlies where God is because that can't be taken from us. We have an inheritance that can't be taken. Here's the really great news of adoption. Adoption is permanent. You become an heir. You know, when you adopt, my, when I adopted my daughters, they get written a, a new birth certificate. This is incredible. They literally are given by the state a new birth certificate. And on that birth certificate where it says, what is the biological father's name? My name is there. It's a legal standing change in the eyes of the government that they are declared heirs of this family and everything that comes along with that, the good and the bad. And I'm telling you, in my family, there's a lot of goofy that comes along with that as well. They're Chenery girls now, and they're slowly becoming like me. 
You know, I like to sing when I walk. I walk everywhere and I sing. Guess who's learning how to sing? My girls are becoming like their dad. They walk around everywhere. I can't stop Joy singing. I literally have to ask her to be quiet when I'm trying to read because she just keeps singing. Where does she get that from? She gets it from her dad. That's where she gets that from. They're becoming like their dad. They're becoming like their mom. And when you accept Jesus Christ, your birth certificate, your legal standing with God, he becomes your father, and you start becoming like them. You start taking on traits of your father. And part of that is knowing that you receive an inheritance, but the other part of it is everything that comes with the family of God. You suffer with Christians as well, provided you suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. To be part of the family is to experience all of the family. The good, the bad, the goofy, and the weird. Mere and joy, I'm sorry, but you got a lot of weird in our house, right? And when you enter into the family of Christ, there's a lot that comes with that. The eyes of the world are not for Christianity. When I read that passage, in just a few weeks, I'll be traveling to Ghana and then to Liberia to visit some partner ministries out there where we're adopting, not my family, but two families from our church are adopting children from Liberia in the next year. And I'll be visiting that ministry and getting to know the partners out there and the work they're doing. When I read that passage there, it's going to mean a whole different thing, won't it? Because our brothers and sisters around the world, they know what it means to suffer. They know what it means to actually be persecuted for the faith of Jesus. And we can't forget that. We have it pretty cozy here in America, guys. I know we, you know, it can be hard some days. But in general, you compare it around the globe, we have it pretty good, provided we suffer with him. When you become a Christian, you're part of the family, and you get everything that comes with that family. When you think of your adoption, what I want you to know is that God did not choose you and adopt you because you had something of value to add to his kingdom. He chose you in your weakness when you were rebels to him. When you were traitors and betrayers of the one true king, he said, that's the child I want. I want that one. I'm going to bring him into my family. He didn't look at you and say, man, he's going to add a lot of value. He's or she's going to really move things forward. He looked and saw a traitor, and then he brought you into the family as traitors. And this is, this is such good news for us when we know our adoption this way, because it, it means we don't have to strive to just be great. Can you put the picture up of the letter my daughter left me? I, I was on an airplane four days ago, and uh, my, my little daughter, I don't know if you can see this or not, I woke up the morning I got on the plane at 4.30 in the morning I had to leave before she, before she woke up. But that night before she went to bed, she left this note for me so I would see it in the morning. Now, let's read this note together. <laughs> You're the greater dad. Now, let me tell you about this note. Now, let's, just, let's just analyze this for a second. A mixture of capital letters and lowercase letters, Right? That G is more, I think it started as a lowercase e and got converted into a G. It's not the right your. It's missing the apostrophe and the e. Do you notice that? Do you know how much I love this? I'll take that over Shakespearean poetry every day for the rest of my life. I'll take that over a million bucks any day. Give me that note every morning, and I'm a happy man. You know why? Because this, my daughter, she doesn't need to prove anything to me. She comes in her childlikeness, and all she does is she comes to her dad with the only thing she has to bring, which isn't much. It isn't much. Greater is not a word. But she brings it to her dad, and she knows that I love her, and I love it, and it 
fills me, and this is what your heavenly Father wants from you. This is your adoption. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's not looking for you to have everything together. He's not looking for you to be a super Christian. He's looking for you to have childlike faith and to love your adoption with such a passion that you wake up in the morning and you want to write love letters like that to your heavenly daddy and say, Abba, Father, I didn't earn it. I've been brought into the family of God by what Christ has done for me, and all I want to do is go to him. I want him to know I love him. I want him to know that he has my heart. I want him to know that I'm going to miss him if I'm gone from him. Do you know how much this speaks to a father's heart? This is what God wants from you. You bring your childlike faith to God, and he looks down, he smiles on you, he says, yeah, I adopted you. I love you. You don't have to have it all together. You just have to be a childlike faith. Bring your love to God and he takes care of you. That's my exegesis of the text. Now what I want to do is I want to move us into application. What does this mean for us as a church? If you've been adopted into the Christian faith, adoption runs central not only to our story but to the history of the church. Again, I've shared this before, but I want to bring it up again. In early Christianity in the first century, in, among the Roman kind of pagan culture of the day, there was a practice known as uh, infant exposure. Infant exposure. And the idea in infant exposure was that if you gave birth to a child that you didn't want, you could literally just put them outside in the gutter of the street and leave them to be exposed to the elements and die over a period of days. If you leave an infant untended to for a few days, they'll pass away. This was called infant exposure. It was normalized in first century Rome. It was an early form of abortion, basically. And children literally would be on the streets. You'd go to work in the morning and there would be a child passing away. And, and there might have been a sadness to it, but the, it was normalized. It wasn't, there were a few philosophers. If you read the greats, there were a few that were saying, this is not right, we shouldn't be doing this. But in general, it was normal practice. Infant exposure came to a screeching stop in world history because of one thing. It was because Christians started adopting all the children. That's how the world changed. Christians would walk the streets, they'd go to the places where the infants were being left, and they'd pick them up, they'd adopt them legally into their family and raise them as their own children. And eventually the politics caught up to what the church was already doing. The church set the culture, and then the politics played catch-up, and it eventually became outlawed. You see that? The church stepped in. Now, why did the church step in? Because they knew the doctrine of adoption. We were already adopted by our heavenly father. How can we let an infant die on the side of the road? And so they sacrificially loved. Now, in our day and age, today, I think the church does a pretty good job of saying that we're against abortion. By and large, I don't think most of people in the world are wondering where the church stands on this issue. And I'm grateful for that. We have a voice. We're clear. We say what the Bible says. We're going to stand with that. Okay, good. But the world doesn't just need to know what we're against. The world needs to see what we're for. And when our voice is matched in parallel by sacrificial love, then culture changes and politics will play catch up. You see that? The church needs to reclaim their historic place within the history of the world as those who step in and stand for the young and the vulnerable and the orphan. That is the church space. It changed the world. 
It was the church that developed medicine. It was the church that developed education. And it was the church that stood for adoption. That is the place we stood in the history of the world. And it's spiritual warfare. We have to realize what's happening in the world around us is not just a political game. It's spiritual warfare. Russell Moore says this very well. The protection of children is not just charity. It isn't part of a political program fitting somewhere between tax cuts and gun rights or between carbon emission caps and National Service Corps. It's spiritual warfare. To be a follower of Christ is to step in and care for the vulnerable among you and to let the world see the true sacrificial love of a Christian. I want you to think about your life for a moment. Those who aren't followers of Christ that know you, maybe they know you're a Christian, and I'm glad for that. But when they talk about you, did they talk about your deep sacrificial love? Is that how you're described? Do they say you're a good friend? Do they say they like talking with you? That's great. I'm glad for that. But are they beside themselves with the deep sacrificial love you've shown to others in your life? Because that's what Christians are. And if we're going to change the world again, that's what we've got to reclaim. Now, in our church, we have taken incredible strides, particularly in the world of orphan care. Uh, Park Community Church is a very unique place. The amount of children that have been adopted, the amount of children that have been in foster care, and I'm, it's not just because Park's a big church. Percentage-wise, we're kind of off the charts with how many people have stepped into this already. Churches don't do what Park Community Church does, has done and is doing. This is amazing. Now, I want you to know, let's talk about practical application for a moment. To adopt a child domestically will run between thirty dollars and $60,000, depending on any number of things. To adopt a child internationally is a little cheaper. It's up to about twenty-five dollars to $40,000. That's a lot of money. And what we at Park want to say is we don't want finances to be something that stops a willing family from adopting a child and stepping in. One, and so what we did is we started what we call the adoption fund. The adoption fund, what we did is we pooled our money and we said, okay, let's put some money towards this. And we've got about $125,000 in the bank right now for this. And we keep adding to it every year. And what we want to do is we want to come alongside members who are saying, I want to adopt. And we want to come alongside you and say, you can receive up to $20,000 in grant money towards that adoption. Because the church wants to put our money where our mouth is. And we want to say we're for adoption. We never want finances to be something that hinders a member at Park Community Church from demonstrating to the world that we stand for adoption. How did this start? It started because we saw the Spirit of God was already moving. Even just in the Near South Network, just in the near, between South Loop and Bridgeport, there's over a dozen families that are involved in foster care, adoption, or safe families. Isn't that incredible? And we got more people who are involved peripherally, whether it's uh, just volunteering in different ways. or any, We have people who are uh, child advocates. We're serving in this space. And we said, the Spirit of God's already moving. Let's create something to help with this. Even if you, even if you already have the money and you're thinking about this, can I tell you, if you can pay for the adoption in full, let your church be a part of it. Wouldn't that be an amazing picture one day here at Bridgeport? Let me give you a picture. Ready? Five years from now, the kids are in the service with us. And you're all sitting here and you're looking and there's 10, 12 children down here who have all been adopted. Just imagine this for a moment. Wouldn't you be proud to be part of this church? There's 12 kids that have been adopted over the last five years. 
And everyone who's given a dime to this church can say, in some small way, I contributed to make that happen. My giving helped. It, might, might, it wasn't the only thing, obviously, I'm not, but, but it, it made that possible. Oh, what a church that would be. What a statement that would be. It's there now. The fund is there. Some of you will be called to be adoptive parents. And I want to tell you, take that step of faith. Go for it. Say yes when the Spirit of God prompts you. It's so scary. I know I've been there. It's so scary. But faith is scary. That's what faith is. If it, was, <coughs> if it wasn't scary, it wouldn't be faith. Foster care. We not only need parents. Hey, Kenson, can you grab that cup of water on the ground for me right there? We not only need parents who are going to be adoptive parents, but we need parents who are going to be foster parents as well. Thank you. The foster care system in, in Chicago is a very dark world. There's a lot of good work being done as orphans are being cared for and they're not just left on the streets like in the olden days. Praise God. And yet... Christians need to enter into the foster care system. And in foster care, it's kind of scary. You open your world to a, a whole lot more variables than in just adoption. Children in the foster care system come with a lot of baggage. They come with a lot of story, a lot of abuse oftentimes. You're opening your home to lawyers. You're opening your home to caseworkers. You're opening your home to social workers. And in some ways, it's amazing. Let the world come into Christian homes. Let them see your home. Let them see your love. What a witness to a watching world when they get to see Christian families. Open your doors. Some of you will be called to be foster parents. Get certified. Become a foster parent. Can I tell you with foster, this is important to know. When you foster a child, this is not the reason to do it, and this is one of the ways it gets abused, but this is actually helpful information. You get a stipend every month to help raise the child by the government. The government gives you money every month to pay the the the, the, the expenses of raising the child. Because paying a parent to raise a child in a home is much cheaper than trying to keep a system going. And so they pay you enough to kind of help a little bit. And that paycheck, if you adopt, the adoption is free if you adopt through the foster care system. And you get that same paycheck all the way till the child turns 18 to help raise them. Again, that's not the reason to do it, but that's helpful to know. We need people to step into this and to say, I'm willing to say yes to become a foster parent. Safe families is a third option. Safe families is kind of like foster care, but much more short-term. It was started by Christians. Actually, the sister of one of the men who goes to South Loop is the woman who runs it right now in Chicago. And it's, it's, it's short-term, like a few weeks. You step in and you care for children who have been taken out of a home for a few weeks, and you just say, not long-term, I'm not becoming a long-term mom and dad, but I can care for a child for a few weeks. I have a, I have a room they can sleep in, and I can take care of them for a few weeks. You know what our Forest Glen location, two 14-year-old girls were so excited about safe families, they created a whole storage cabinet filled with diapers and cots and cribs and and uh, car, uh, car seats for children. It's just stocked. It's ready to go. So if you become a safe family tonight and you get a child brought to your home, the church can show up with a carload of diapers and baby wipes and all that stuff you're going to need. We're ready for you, church. We've thought through this. We're ready for you to say yes to what God's done. Let me close this whole message by sharing a little bit of my story. Becoming an adoptive parent for me, was 
really scary. And I was not as ready as my wife was. It was always an idea that was in the back of my mind because I had the scriptures. And frankly, the whole journey started when we opened our Bibles and we started reading together, my wife and I. We came to James 1.27, where it says, true religion is this, to care for the orphan and the widow in their time of need. And my wife and I were like, okay, well, how do we put this into practice? What does this mean? And we started praying, and then we took the class, the, t- the class on foster care. And it was just saying yes. It was one little step at a time. I wasn't ready yet, but I said yes. And that step was scary, but it was what God called me to. And so I said yes, th- yes is a step of faith. And then little by little, you say yes, and God changes your heart on the way of the journey. And can I tell you, our life is so much sweeter because we've done this. There's so many more difficulties that have been brought into our life. Yes, there's things that are harder. Yes, life was simpler and cleaner when it was just my wife and me and my biological daughter. 100% it was cleaner and easier. But can I tell you, I know more about my own adoption into God's family because I've become an adoptive parent. I get this. This speaks so deep to my heart. I get this gospel so much deeper now. My wife and I have a relationship that is off the charts right now and is different than before we adopted. You know why? Because adoption forced my wife and I to turn the TV off and start having some real hard conversations. What are we going to do? How are we going to bond with these children? It's not natural. It's not happening the way it did with Ruthie. So how are we going to form these connections there's stuff we got to work through. And you got to stay up late praying together and work. Man, talk about putting a marriage and moving it into the next spot. Our life, we would have missed out on so much. I'll tell you, there's so much we're learning. Raising two black children in Chicago, I, there's things I don't know I don't know. I'll never forget having a number of women from our church, African-American women in our church, came over in the first week, taught us how to do the girls' hair. They're still teaching us. We have so much to learn. My wife's become an expert. I, I don't know the first thing about how to do it. I'm learning slowly, but it's a community thing. We come together. The church comes around. I was sitting on an airplane yesterday coming back from Los Angeles, and I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, an African-American man, and we were talking about raising black children in Chicago and realizing, man, there's stuff that my black brothers and sisters in this church have experienced that I know about, and it, it's true to my heart because I... I'm part of your family in this church, but that my daughters are going to experience in a different way than I will ever experience. I'm going to experience as their dad. Man, that, that brings me into family relationship with you in a way that I... See that newness? That's, that's a layer of depth that I wouldn't have had before. What I'm trying to tell you is this. All this application, don't say that somebody else. Don't say that. The Spirit of God is moving, and I want us to be a people of God that say yes to the things of God. And it's so scary, but when you don't say yes to the things of faith that are scary, you rob yourself of all the gems of this life. This is where faith gets real. This is where Jesus comes alive. This is where the world takes notice. This is how the church grows. This is where you start getting baptism stories, and we got too many baptisms. we got to start doing them every week. Why? Because the church reclaims its historic place, standing where others won't stand, sacrificing where others won't sacrifice, and living out the kingdom of God. Don't let your fear of the unknown stop you from being obedient to God's call on your life. You'll miss out on all the joy. After all, don't forget, 
In Christ, you were first adopted. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we just say, Abba, Father. God, those are good words to be able to say. Lord, we don't even understand the half of it, but the little that we do understand, the little of the cross that we get, God, we say we love you. We say thank you. We want to receive it like children. We want to learn to come to you like children. Can you form that in us this week, if nothing else? Thank you for our adoption. Thank you for your grace in our life. God, do something remarkable in this room. Holy Spirit, make this a church like we've never experienced. Holy Spirit, whatever you're doing in hearts right now, help us to say yes. Holy Spirit, make us your church. In Jesus' name.